hello, hello, welcome, 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 hello and welcome. I'm glad you could make it. I'm Dan, your friendly fishmonger at dancefish.com. Thanks for being here. We do this every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. That's 9 Eastern for those that are mountain challenged. Thanks for spending your Wednesday with us. To start, as always, we're going to do our shipping report. I'll tell you how shipping went this week. We're also going to tell you about an awesome giveaway we have that I can't wait to show you. Cool little fish. You all know this fish, I'm sure. If you don't, I'll tell you about it. And I'm going to answer a question that we got earlier before the stream went live about uh, water. How to handle water, gas it off, dechlorinate it, make it stable for your aquarium. So we'll start with that and then then we'll get to all your questions and comments and just geek out about aquarium fish if you haven't seen it we released a video recently about aquariums and mental health which i'm very excited about so uh i think the video is more entertaining than the title makes it sound so give it a gander <laughs> i think it's a good one i like it i think it's my favorite i like it and uh at the end of my live stream uh my wife will be performing her second song for us. So at 8.30, I'm going to head over there and invite you all to join me, but that's at the end of the live stream. It's only a few minutes, so it shouldn't you know compete too much with any other streams going uh, after us. I know there's a couple that go pretty quick after we close, but the song's only a couple minutes, so shouldn't shouldn't yuck anyone's yum. With that, let's get into the shipping report. So... So far, year-to-date beginning uh, February 1st of this year is when we begin calculating our shipping percentage according to this more accurate method. Year-to-date, it keeps getting better. Right now, we're at 98.91% success, fish arriving alive and in good enough shape that they thrive for our customers. In the last six months, it's 98.93%, so two hundredths of a percent better in the last six months which means that if we, as we've settled into the warehouse here and brought on the new crew and everything, we've got even better. So we're improving as time goes on. So the odds are if we ship you a fish, almost 98.93% of the time the fish will arrive to you alive and it will arrive healthy enough that it does well for you. Now we did have some losses of some golden Congo tetras, uh, Phenacogrammus uh, arcantheus, archaeocus. Ar Ar I, I can't remember how to say the species name. Uh, they arrived okay, but I think uh, five days later or so, if I remember the story right, there were some losses. But we still count that. So we're not just saying it's going to get to you alive. We're saying it'll get to you alive in good shape and it'll live for you. So even though it's those arrived, I think, in good shape, but then, you know, passed on later, maybe due to the stress of shipping, maybe due to something else. I'm not quite sure. Uh, but even so, we still count that. So keep in mind, that's wrapped up in that percentage as well. One thing that always frustrates me as a fish hobbyist and as a fish business owner is when I buy fish from people and I'm allowed to report DOAs, but what if a fish arrives in really bad shape? It's still alive, it's not DOA. But I'm looking at this fish and I'm like, the odds that this thing are gonna make it are very low. I'm gonna do my best, I'm gonna give it all the TLC and hugs and kisses I can to make it feel better. Chicken soup, all that stuff, warm blankie, hot bean bag, whatever it wants. 
but it came in such bad shape that it's probably going to pass away on me. And something I've always hated as a customer is when that happens and the supplier won't uh, stand by their, I hate to call fish products, but we're talking business here, their product, right? So we don't do that. We guarantee they'll arrive alive and fat and sassy. Like if they arrive and they were super weak and they pass away a little later because of that, well, we'll we count that basically as a DOA. We call it a DOL, died on later, <laughs> as opposed to a DOA, dead on arrival. But uh, that's in that number two. So I feel good about that number. I, I feel like we're treating the fish with respect. I feel like we're putting in the extra effort to make sure that the fish uh, have the best experience possible and that they arrive to our customers fat and sassy and in good enough shape to thrive long term. So. To my team, if you're watching, just thanks. You, you guys are amazing. Thanks for all the good work you do. We appreciate it. You're making a difference. You really are. All right. And, and by the way, there were a few other losses besides just those golden Congo Tetras as well. I was just using that as an example. So I want to make that clear. Okay, that's the shipping report. Let's get to the giveaway. The giveaway is an oldie but goodie. I'm sure you all know this, uh, this fish. This is the Silver Tip Tetra, one of the all-time favorites because they're so awesome. I struggle to find a picture which does this fish justice because, so in the pet store, you're probably gonna find some emaciated brown fish. Um, let me find, even our picture here, that's obviously a healthy fish, not emaciated, but it's not colored up. When they color up, the males turn, there's a lot of orange in them. And this is a, that's a decent picture, but even more color than that. And then they get those white tips on the fins, which contrast sharply with the darker body and darker fin colors and, and they, they kind of almost glow those orange tips. I never can, I can never find a picture. Oh, here we go. You don't see quite the glowing tips on this one, but it's giving you an idea of the orange color they can develop. That's nice. That's showing some of the orange in the fins with the white tips contrasting. Anyway, beautiful little Tetra, nice little kerosene. Doesn't get too big. Uh, they do like their food, though. They're quick to the food. So I wouldn't keep this fish with anything that's slow eating. It might outcompete things like bettas, um, chocolate karamis, maybe even some of your Corydoras species. Fish that need to graze and take a while to feed could get outcompeted by a horde of these, depending on the setup and everything. Like, there's, there's ways around all these problems, but it's something to be aware of with this fish. They see food, and they're on it like that, and they eat very quickly. So besides that, though, oh, the other thing is I, I might not keep this fish with something with really long flowing fins. I probably wouldn't keep it with veil-tailed angels or uh, long-tailed bettas or long-tailed guppies or anything like that because they might nip those fins. Just those long flowing waving fins are, are too tempting. <laughs> so... Besides that, though, I can't think of many downsides with this fish. Th those two issues aside, they're hardy, they're beautiful, they school well. 
they're they're more a shoulder than a schooler, but they're more of a schooler than a lot of Tetras. And they look amazing in a planted take when they color up and, and their, their white tips pop against their kind of orange coloration. Now, I probably didn't need to say any of that because this is a very common fish. It's very popular because it's beautiful and hardy and does so well for us. So you all probably knew that, but there might be some folks in here that don't know this fish, so I thought I'd take a minute to talk about them. Anyway, the giveaway is simple. In order to enter the giveaway, all you have to do is enter into chat, hashtag silver. Just type hashtag symbol silver. So that's hashtag, hashtag pound key, <laughs> S-I-L-V-E-R, no spaces, caps don't matter, and you'll automatically be entered to win uh, the giveaway, and we'll draw that later on tonight as we move down the stream. I'm trying to make these easy. Back in the day when, when uh, Candy Overholes uh, was able to mod for us, she would always get frustrated at me when I did these creative hashtags because <laughs> people would screw them up and it made the mods job so much harder. But I've been trained well by Candy. I no longer do that. Hashtag silver. That's all. That's all you need to do. <laughs> Great little fish. Now, that's about all I have for you today. So we're going to get into your questions and comments pretty quickly here. Uh, the, the first question I'm going to get to is the one that was asked before about uh, stabilizing water when we're doing water changes. And then I'll get to the rest of them. Before I do that, though, I want to thank my moderators for being here and doing what they do every week. Every week they come, they volunteer their time to make this stream run smoothly, week after week, some of them for years. It amazes me and I'm truly grateful, so thank you. I also want to thank the members. Thanks for joining the uh, Fishmonger crew and helping this channel be successful. We appreciate it. In part because of your efforts, we've been able to bring on an editor to work with us. They're in a trial period right now. They did the editing on the uh, aquariums and mental health video, and I like it. I think it's much better than what I'm able to produce on my own, and with their help, I should be able to make more and better content. So uh, part of that is because of the memberships. You guys have, have stepped up, joined the, the Fishmonger crew, become a member of the channel, and that's helping fund that. So, so thank you. I think it's going to help us do better things. Uh, with that, let's get to the question. So the question that was asked was, what's, how do you age water for water changes? And this person said they, they take water and they put it in one gallon jugs and put dechlorinator in it. And yeah, that's a fine way to do it. Let's define what we're trying to do first though, when we're aging water. What happens when water comes out of your tap is it comes out in one form and once it leaves the tap it wants to transition to a different form. This is because the water coming out of your tap is under pressure. When water is under pressure a lot of gas dissolves into the water. When you relieve that pressure by taking the water out of the tap all that gas changes form and it wants to come out of solution and gas off evaporate. Lots of changes happen in the chemistry of the water when that happens. 
So that's number one. Number two is the temperature changes. When temperature changes, water chemistry changes. Some of that is for the same reason. Um, gas, the solubility of gas in water depends on temperature. The colder the water, the more gas that can dissolve into it. So as the temperature changes, that alters that as well. Other things that can happen is your municipality, the, your water source, will often treat the water with chlorine, as we know, but also with other things. They'll treat the water so that the pH is such that it doesn't harm the pipes. They'll treat the water in, in many ways, not just for your health, chlorine, to kind of disinfect the water, but also for the health of the piping system, the water treatment facility and all that. A lot of these changes that they make to the water are temporary. They're meant to uh, make it good while the water's in the water system, but once it comes out of that system, it changes. So some of the pH changes and things are short term, so when the water comes out, it's gonna change. What you don't wanna happen is you don't wanna put water that wants to change into your aquarium because if you do that change will happen while the fish are in the water and those changing water parameters can stress the fish out so that's why we age and gas off water before we put it in our aquariums the other reason is chlorine and chloramine we, we want to get rid of those harmful chemicals uh, those disinfecting chemicals oxidizers before we put them in our aquariums otherwise they will oxidize our, our fish right they'll They'll destroy our fish's gill tissues. So that's the second reason. I think a lot of us are familiar with that, with this, but it's it's. I think it, it it bears clarifying. A lot of us think of chlorine, but nothing else. Now, this being said, I put water directly in my tanks from the hose from the tap for years without too much problem. You can do it. There are ways to do it, but I'm talking in an ideal scenario here. Ideally, what we would do is we would take that water, we'd put it in a container and get it stabilized. It wants to change. We'd give it the time to change before we put it in our tanks. And the question was, what's, what's the best way to do that? Well, there's lots of ways to skin a cat, as my grandpa would say. Uh, I'm not sure what the best way is, but here's what works for me. Is I take that water, I put it in a, in a container. It could be your one gallon jug, it could be a five gallon bucket, it could be a, a 40 gallon garbage can. Uh, at one point I was using a 300 gallon uh, basically water tank. The important thing is though that it be open to atmosphere. You don't want to put it in something and seal it up. You want to open to the atmosphere so the gas can come off and evaporate and exchange can happen at the surface. The other thing that's really helpful is if you drop in an air stone so that the water is moving and so the oxygen's put in there. That will help speed up the process. If you have chloramine, you definitely need to add dechlorinator, something that can neutralize chloramine. And if you have chlorine, it's helpful to do that as well. Although chlorine, after, I don't know what the time is exactly, 12 to 24 hours, uh, if it's agitated, if it's in a container that's got an air stone in it, chlorine will evaporate on its own. You know when you walk by the swimming pool and you smell all that strong chlorine? That's the chlorine leaving the water and it's going up into the atmosphere and you're breathing it. That's, that's how come it smells so strongly around swimming pools. So that's what we're trying to do with those things. Make sure that it's open to atmosphere. 
if you put an air stone in there and bubble atmosphere in there, that will help uh, degas it and stabilize it and rejuvenate it with oxygen and things. And the other thing is temperature. Because it's open to atmosphere, let's say it's a five gallon bucket and it has no lid and you're bubbling it. Well, as that stuff evaporates, as the water evaporates, it's gonna cool. So you might have in your five gallon bucket, let's say you, you put it in an 80 degree room and you have your tank in there and with the lid on the tank, it's gonna lose a couple degrees unless you have like a hot light or a heater or something that keeps the tank warm. But let's say that the tank is 78 degrees in this 80 degree room because there's a little evaporation and that cools the tank a little bit. A tank's typically a little lower temperature than the room it's in unless it's otherwise heated, even if the tank has a lid. But in the five gallon bucket, if the air stone's going and it's open to atmosphere, it doesn't have a lid, that's gonna be much cooler. That might drop to 73 degrees just because of evaporative cooling. <laughs> I like the V's on that, of evaporative, <laughs> evaporative cooling. <laughs> Hold your V's, everyone. Um, it's like I was playing an instrument. Anyway, um, so the way we combat that is you can put a lid on it that's not sealed, and that'll help combat that a little bit. Or you could put a heater in the tank or other, in, not the tank, in the container you're gassing off in and, and make sure the water's the right temperature before you put it in your tank. Now, fish can take a little temperature variation. So you don't have to be precise with that, but you don't want to have too much temperature variation, right? So hopefully that answers the question that was asked. Uh, if, if anyone needs a follow-up, leave it and I'll get to it. But that's the general idea giving the time and the impetus to the water to make the change it wants to make when it comes out of your tap. And then taking, getting rid of any harmful sterilizing agents like chlorine or chloramine, or neutralizing chloramine at least. Um, so that's, that's the thought. Now, how do you get away with not doing that? Well, it's a little risky, but the way you do that is you do smaller water changes. So let's say you're like, there's no way I'm going to do that. Uh, every time I'm just going to fill it with the python or the hose coming right out of the tap. That's, that's how I roll. You can do that, but you have to do very small water changes because then you're not introducing too big of a change. If you don't do very small water changes, you might get away with it for a while, but eventually something's going to happen. Your municipality will flush the pipes and you won't know about it. And there'll be a lot of chemicals in the pipes that you don't know about and you'll have a die off. Or um, the temperature or pressure will reach a critical point where enough dissolved gas is in the water that when you put it in the tank, it gives the fish the bends. Basically, they'll get gas bubble disease and get embolisms in their body because they're breathing in this super saturated gas as they breathe the water through their gills. That gets in their system. And you'll see it, it'll actually coat everything in the aquarium with tiny little bubbles. Um, you'll start seeing bubbles develop on the fish and uh, that is no bueno. So there are ways you can mitigate the risk. You can put dechlorine right as you're filling the tank up. Uh, there's lots of things we can do, but it's, it's a little riskier. So if you wanna gas it off and make sure everything's as low risk as possible, that's how I would approach it. All right, enough about that though. Scrolling up here to get to the next question and comment. Kelly Foreman throwing down a super chat. Thank you so much, Kelly. Much appreciated. Never required. 
but it does help keep the lights on around here. So thanks for the super chat. The super chat is for Brenda. Love her new channel. Oh, thank you. I'll let her know you said that. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to hear her sing. We'll do that right at the end of this live stream. I'll post a link where you can go uh, listen to her next song. And Danny C. joining the Fishmonger crew. Thanks for joining up. Welcome. Glad to have you. Scrolling here looking for some questions I can get. Del Cantrell, what have you found to be the best way to hatch and raise your Kalitawa? So, Del, I actually buy them from a breeder. I'm not raising that fish here in this facility. But we have had some babies appear randomly, and they appear to be just as easy to breed and raise as any other rainbow fish. The one thing to be aware of is, depending on temperature, you can get really heavy males, really heavy females in the population. So you want to, what was it? Is Hoon Aquatics here? I'd have to read it again, but I believe you want to lower the temperature or, or you'll end up with a high, highly skewed ratio. So something like, I don't know, 75 degrees, if I remember right. I'd have to look at it. If you go to Rainbow Fish Live, there's a, a thread on it, on Facebook, Rainbow Fish Live. There's a discussion about it where people share their experience. Um, when it was too hot, the sexes were all skewed towards, I can't remember if it was male or female, but you definitely didn't get an even sex ratio. But besides that, they appear to be just as simple to breed and spawn and raise and just as prolific, well, they're very prolific, is any other rainbow. We get lots of eggs, but we don't uh, do anything with them. The Fish Guy 5, can you do a species on African tetras? I'm, I'm guessing you're asking for a video on them. I might be able to do that. I'd probably wait though until I had more varieties so I could do better video. I'd have more fish to take video of. We have a few right now, but we don't have a ton. Yeah, that's definitely a topic I'm interested in and I think would be useful because there's not a lot of information out there on those fish. So I'll, I'll consider that, yeah. Pardon me as I itch my ear. Ah, ah, felt like I had an ant in there. No good. Andersog77, I enjoyed your video on Amazon puffers. Oh, thank you. Extremely informative. Were you considering doing the same for the spotted Congo tetra, uh, puffer, you mean? The, oh, Tetraodon Shodeni. We have six. Do you have tank mate suggestions? Thanks. Oh, I'm so glad you got six, because that's fun. That's, that'll probably be a very fun group for you. I have never kept, that's not true. I was gonna say I've never kept the Congo spotted puffers with any other species, but I have. Um, I kept them in a tank once and there were a few endlers that happened to be there and they grew up and eventually there was a colony of endlers living with the Congo spotted tetras uh, or spotted Congo tetras. Never a problem. The tetras would occasionally take a quick little uh, run at the endlers, but the endlers never got bit that I ever saw. Having no personal experience beyond that, though, with mixing uh, the Shodeni with other species of fish, I can't really recommend any. But I would say this. If you're going to do it, don't put them with sedentary fish. Don't put them in with, like, autosynclus or plecos or corys, fish that tend to, like, sit in one spot. Because those will be easily nipped by the, by the uh, puffers. What I'd suggest is fish that the kind of fish that's constantly active, 
it doesn't have to be like a super fast swimmer. Like endlers aren't super fast swimmers, but they were plenty good at handling any aggression from the from the puffers. So that's really my only thought on that. Um, sorry, I couldn't be more useful, but I've never tried combining those personally. Now, if anyone here has combined uh, Tetraodon shodeni, the Congo spotted puffer with other species of fish. Would you mind chiming in, letting us know your experience so we can uh, help Andersog 77 out a bit, a bit better than I could. Orange cones, silver tetras, okay with rummy nose tetras who are little piggies with food. Yeah, I think silver tip tetras and rummy nose would be just fine together. I don't see any issues with that. <laughs> of course, now that I said that, for some reason it'll all go awry, but I, I, I would do that mix without any hesitation myself. John Yao, when would you replace a sponge filter, if ever? Never. Unless, unless it somehow was, like, just destroyed. There was once when I was disinfecting a tank, and I put bleach in it. This was back when I was using bleach instead of hydrogen peroxide. Hydrogen peroxide, much better. But I put bleach in it quite heavily. I think the tank was diseased or something. I wanted to make darn sure <laughs> I got it all out. So I put way too much bleach in there. I was in, in I was at university at the time, and so I was very busy, end of term, writing term papers, trying to get through finals, all that, so I didn't get to that tank for a while after. I thought, oh, I'll, I'll do it after. I'll change the water after, right? I'll clean it all up and get it reset. Well, I didn't know that chlorine bleach over time will literally eat away at some types of sponges. and. When I finally got to that tank, that sponge filter pretty much dissolved. <laughs> so in a case like that, I'd replace it. Um, I, I, now, there's many different kinds of plastics that sponge filters are made out of. I don't know which kind this was made out of. I just know it. Uh, chlorine destroyed it after being in there for many days at a very high concentration. But generally, I wouldn't replace them. What I would do is wash them out typically use water that isn't going to kill the bacteria populations in the sponge filter. Wash them out really good. We do it all the time. Squeeze them out in the water till they run pretty clean. But don't use chlorine or anything like that. And that way you can clean the sponge filter and the population of bacteria in the sponges in the sponge will be just fine. You replace it. Maybe a little bit of the bacteria died, but not enough that it's going to be a big problem. So that's uh, probably how I'd handle that. At some point, if the plastic that the sponge is made out of breaks down enough that you have big holes in it and all that, then maybe I would change it out because if water is going to flow through the path of least resistance, right? What you want is that water flowing through all those tiny little holes because there's so much surface area there that there's enough bacteria to, to do a good job. If on a part of the sponge filter it somehow... Uh, degrades to where there's a hole and the water can get directly to the center to the uplift pipe a lot easier it's going to bypass the little holes and go straight through there and your filtration will be compromised so maybe in a case like that where the sponge was damaged for those that don't know what's what's going on in sponge filters is high surface area the matrix of the sponge all those little bits of plastic that the water flows around as it's going to the center of the sponge to get lifted up the uplift pipe. Um, that's high surface area. 
Nitrifying bacteria is benthic, which means it adheres to surfaces. Nitrifying bacteria is not something that lives free-floating in your water. It's something that is adhering to the surfaces in your aquarium, to the glass, to the gravel, to the plants, to the wood, to the decorations, and especially in your sponge filter. And with all that high surface area in the sponge, there's a ton of bacteria that can live in there because there's so much surface for the colonies to take advantage of. That's why the sponge filter is in the form it's in. The idea being, as water flows through the sponge, it comes in contact with much more bacteria than it would if it's just flowing, you know, around your tank. And that's the opportunity for that nitrifying bacteria to convert ammonia nitrite to less harmful substances that won't kill your fish. So that's how it works. So anything that's going to compromise that, you want to stay away from. Well, John, I, I hope that answered your question. That was probably overkill. <laughs> that's my thoughts on that. You asked. <laughs> He's like, never again. <laughs> Mr. B's CPDs. I started green water from rain on my roof. Where do all the microorganisms come from that live in green water? Are they airborne? A lot are. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff that ends up in your water is in the atmosphere. It's so tiny that it can live on the wind currents. Lots of algaes, lots of, lots of organisms are like that. Spores are out there. There's all kinds of things in our air. So yeah, a lot of it comes from uh, the atmosphere. If there's, if the thing that you're, if the water and what the water is going in are not completely sterile, then there's organisms there as well that will bloom in population. Yeah, it definitely happens. Nathan Hovey, I have a pair of convicts and I've heard they mate for life. True or false? If true, how bad or stressful would it be to separate them? They nonstop breed. I'll deal with it worst case. Yeah, I, I would separate them. I don't know if they pair for life or if in the wild, if they pair for a season and then the pair bond goes away once the, the younger raised. And then the next season they pair with another, another well, mate. Um, I, I honestly don't know that. I haven't read that study, so I don't know if it's for life or not. But it's probably better to stop churning out convicts into this world that are going to be hard to find homes for. Uh, it's probably better to stop that than to keep the pair together. Would be would be my take. Now you do you, uh, you know your choice. But that's how I would look at it. It's like okay, so if I had a pair of dogs or cats. And they absolutely loved each other and uh, were bonded for life. But there was no way to sterilize them for some reason. And they kept churning out puppies and kittens over and over. Like, I wouldn't want to separate them. But I feel like I would have to. <laughs> because I would overpopulate the area with free puppies and kittens. Uh, Michigan Fishigan. <laughs> I love it. Michigan Fishigan. Follow-up question on your last video. Did the control painting group continue losing weight while the test groups gained? Thanks. Yeah, so that that was in uh, the original cut of the video, but for, for brevity's sake, we cut that out. Yeah, the control group did not experience the weight gain uh, benefits that the aquarium group did. And uh, that study, all you have to do is Google, well, I'll show you. It's very easy to find. Aquariums 
Alzheimer's scholarly articles. That's all you have to Google. And it comes up right here. In fact, I will link this if you want to read it. Okay, there's the link. So you can read all the details of that study. When I made that video, I was making it for the layperson, right? I was trying to make it interesting, informative, but also easy to understand. So I was just trying to get the point across uh, without going into too much uh, technical detail. But it's a pretty good study. It's, it crossed its T's and dotted its I's. Its p-value is less than 0 0.001. So this, the, the results are statistically significant. And uh, yeah, go ahead and take a look yourself, Michigan Fishigan. <laughs> Jeff Kane, hate the smell of chlorine. Yeah, yeah, the smell of the inside of your nose being burned alive. Th that's not fun. <laughs> Nathan Hovey, what temp should I keep a hospital tank, 10 gallon, and mostly for my African cichlids? Okay, so temperature of the hospital tank is going to vary based on species. You want the ideal temperature for whatever species you're, is in hospital, right? In this case, African cichlids, I would go like, uh, if I'm treating African cichlids, I'm imagining rift lake cichlids is what you mean by that. Uh, I'm picturing cichlids from Lake Malawi. I'd probably go 84 degrees. I think it, at a higher temperature like that, the, uh, the fish is going to have the best chance at kicking a disease and the diseases will burn through a lot quicker. So you're, you're met, you won't use as much medication because the disease will progress faster and will be eradicated more quickly. So that's my thought on African cichlids. Keep in mind though that water at a higher temperature like that has less ability to, uh, to hold oxygen. So if you're keeping fish warm in order to treat them, you have to make sure that there's good dissolved oxygen in the water. You do that by keeping the water clean. Anything that's decomposing in the water will rob the water of oxygen and by having an air stone or what have you in there to help with that. So keep that in mind. Spinster sister, thanks. Make the water happy for happier fish. You're welcome. And thanks for the good question. I we, so Spencer's sister and I were, were chatting about this earlier and I was like, you know what, let me just talk about it live because <laughs> it was getting to be a lot of back and forth. But um, yeah, hopefully I explained it in a way that's clear. Wendy, I have, I have a well. Water sits in three expansion tanks in a well house before moving on. Uh, demand of the house in a two-inch line, no chlorine. Is this enough? Does gas escape in those tanks? So gas probably is not going to escape in those tanks uh, because where would it go unless... I mean, the expansion tank, it, it, what the expansion tank is doing is trying to keep the pressure constant. But it's not like relieving pressure and I don't know, I, I'm not looking at your tank, but unless it reach atmospheric pressure, which, which is not going to do in an, in, in an expansion tank, it's still going to be under pressure. Just the bladder in there is to keep it at a constant pressure. Um, and without something to gas off, like a vent at the top that lets air escape but not pressurized water, then I, I don't think it's going to stabilize in that, no. Now, I could be wrong. Someone tell me if you know more about that than I do. but. 
the expansion tanks I'm familiar with, I don't think that that would do the trick. That being said, for the first many years that I kept fish, I was on a well and I just filled the tanks with the hose right from the well and didn't have many problems. So it can be done, uh, but it's just better if you gas it off and stabilize it first. Survival of the fishiest. <laughs> Love it. Can pygmy quarries be in a deep tank? Are they like most quarries needing to dart to the top for air? They definitely dart to the top for air. Yes. Allison Zone. How long does it take for Madaka fish eggs to hatch? I'm getting eggs, but no, no hatch yet. They're pretty long. They're, they're, they're kind of like killifish in that way. You're probably looking at, depending on temperature, higher temperature, the quicker they'll hatch. I'm going to say you've got a week or two before they hatch. Yeah. After two weeks, uh, I start expecting some fry for sure. Depending, of course, on temperature. I'm trying to figure out how to say this name correctly before I say it out loud. Mr. Colopsia. That's what I'm going with. Hope I didn't butcher your name. Hello, would you keep a dozen drapefin barbs? Yes, I would. I love that fish. With a dozen pseudomugils? Yeah. Or a dozen longfin white clouds? Yep. In a planted 40 breeder? Yes. Thank you and love what you do. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that would be a problem. I think you'd be just fine. And what an awesome tank that's going to be. I love your taste in fish. That sounds amazing. <laughs> oh, by the way, this oddly, because my mind works in tangents, uh, reminds me of something. One problem we have here at Dan's Fish, selling fish online, is that something that's important to sell fish online is good pictures of the fish you're selling. The problem we have is that often we sell the fish before they've grown enough to develop their coloration. So a lot of our rainbow fish, for example, and others as well, but rainbow fish are a prime example of this. What you see is like a picture of a silver fish because they're only an inch or inch and a half or maybe two inches uh, when we get them. And by the time we sell them, they're too young to develop their colors. And this goes for a lot of the species we sell. So that's a problem because we can't get a good picture of the fish to show people what it really looks like. So I was going to ask if anyone out there has fish that have colored up and grown up, whether it's rainbows or, or anything else we sell, um, and, and you have a picture, you wouldn't mind taking a picture, and sending it to us so we can use it on the website to show people what this fish actually looks like <laughs> when it's an adult or mature enough to be colored, when it gets its color, uh, that would be very helpful. I don't know how to get good pictures of a lot of the species because, again, they move on to our customers before, we don't have them long enough for them to develop their, their true colors. If you're okay with that, if you wouldn't mind sending any pictures you have to hello at dancefish.com. That's H-E-L-L-O at dancefish.com. And we would, we would love to have good pictures that we can post there. It would help us sell more fish if people saw, oh, this isn't an ugly silver dart. This is a beautiful rainbow fish when it matures, right? That'd be very helpful. We would uh, give you photo credit 
like, thanks to so-and-so for the use of this picture uh, when we post them on the website. And uh, yeah, that'd be super helpful. I know it's a lot to ask, like taking good pictures of fish is time consuming and stuff, but if you happen to have any laying around or you just like taking pictures for fun and wouldn't mind sharing them, then it would be most appreciated, It'd be very helpful. We, and also, please don't be offended if we don't post your picture. <laughs> like, send these knowing that they might not be selected to use because once we resize the picture to what we need it to show up clearly on the website, maybe it's not high enough pixel uh, count and we expand it, it's like, oh, that got real fuzzy. Now we can't use it. And we also look for, ideally, the the fish would show the fish's color and everything, but the eye would be in focus. So there, there's a couple of things we look for. So, I mean, send them at will, but please don't be offended if we're like, ooh, that doesn't, once we load that up, that actually doesn't quite work for us. Um, I'd hate for someone to send it and then be crushed when we decided not to use it. So just be aware of that. But that being said, anyone wants to throw pictures at us, we'd be uh, forever grateful. Mm. Okay, moving on. There are 259 people here. Thanks for being here, guys and gals. Thanks for spending your Wednesday evening with us. We appreciate it. If you wouldn't mind taking a moment to share this out with all your ex-lovers so we can uh, get more folks here and make the chat really lively, that would be appreciated. Thanks for sharing it out. Jobman, my Amazon puffer is not eating anything but snails. Any advice? Um, yes and no. If your puffer is new, if you haven't had your puffer more than a week or so, let's say, then this is fairly normal. When puffers go to a new tank or whatever, sometimes they get a little grumpy and they aren't settled in quite yet and they can be very picky. Hopefully not. Hopefully people that are getting our puffers are like, they put them in the tank and they eat right away. We try to socialize our puffers enough that they'll do that, but puffers are puffers and sometimes they won't. So if you haven't had the fish that long, I wouldn't worry about it too much. If you have though, then there's a couple things to do. First of all, Javmon, did you get this Amazon from us? Because if you got it from us, it's going to be used to eating crushed snails um, frozen bloodworms, Hikari vibrabites, and rapashi with oyster shell in it, among other things. They like mysis shrimp as well. Frozen mysis shrimp, live scuds, I mean, they get a variety. But they'll, they'll be eating prepared foods like Hikari vibrabites, gel foods like rapashi, frozen foods, live foods. They should be uh, well accustomed to lots of different foods, and if it's not eating, anything but snails, I'm suspecting it just needs more time. That would be my guess. So I'm just curious if you got it from us or not. I mean, I'll answer your question either way. I'm not saying you should have got it from us. I'm, I'm just curious because I know ours are used to eating a wide variety. If you didn't get it from us and the place you got it from only fed snails, then maybe it's picky and it's going to take it a while to train it to eat other things. That's a possibility. So Either it needs to settle in longer, or it's not used to other foods yet, and you're gonna to have to do the work of introducing it to other foods. And then the third option is it could be sick. 
maybe it has an upset tummy. Maybe it's got some parasites or maybe it was really stressed during transit and hasn't quite recovered and it's not feeling good yet. Um, it could be anything. You know, lots of, lots of illnesses could cause a fish to not want to eat. In which case then we have to go down the road of how do we fix that? And not being a veterinarian, that's, that's a difficult road to go down because ideally what you would do is pinpoint the problem. You know, I get the disease diagnosed so you can treat it with the correct medication. So those are the possibilities that I think we're dealing with. Something else with the Amazon puffers, if you're keeping it at a cool temperature, maybe hike the temperature up a bit. I don't know what you're keeping it at, but maybe a bump up to about 82 degrees or so could help pep it up. That can be helpful with Amazon puffers. Um, but based on the, the, what I'm reading here, those are my, my, my introductory thoughts on the issue. Andersog77, thanks so much for the answer. Hey, thanks for the question. I appreciate people participating in the chat here because um, it makes my job a lot easier when there's stuff to respond to and riff off of. If I had to like just talk without anything coming at me, it'd be hard for me to keep going. <laughs> I'd run out of ideas. Got our tequila sunrise guppy pair this week. So pretty. I know, Chonsworth. I love that, that strain. Tequila sunrise is just happy. For those that don't know that fish, tequila, well, let's, I'm not going to show you. You know what that is, most people. But bright yellow with some orange flame on them, just happy fish. You can't look at that fish and be sad. Richard Reynolds, I recently got some blue spot mud skippers. Any suggestions on brackish water fish that would go well with them? Richard, first of all, congratulations. That's an exciting fish. Second of all, I can't help you because I have, I mean, I've kept mud skippers at places I worked, uh, fish wholesalers and such, in the past, but I've never kept them myself. And I've never kept them like long term or with other fish. So I can't answer that question. I wish I could. If uh, Kenny E, are you here? Danikin, if you're in the house, I know that they have. Uh, mud skippers and might have some suggestions for you. Uh, there's a few, few other folks too. If you reach out to, uh, is it Zenzo's Aquariums? I don't remember the channel name exactly, but Zenzo has mud skippers and could probably answer a question if you reached out to him. Is it Gen Zenzo's Tanks? Tazawa Tanks? Tazawa's Tanks, I think, is the name of the YouTube channel. Uh, but but I, I have uh, not much knowledge about that. Clicks images. Can disease move with plants? Um, kind of. So most diseases aren't going to be able to sustain themselves if all they have around them is plants. But plants are going to have water on them, right? They're wet. And diseases are in the water. So yeah, a plant can transfer disease. But a plant in a tank by itself long term, most fish diseases would not survive because there's nothing to nourish them, would be my thought on that. Now, there are certain things like uh, vorticella or uh, epistylus or uh, hydra or there are certain organisms that will live on plants and live on fish. But uh, those are few and far between.
James Taylor, I successfully kept my 21 show Denny Puffers with two different Cynodonis colonies. Oh, that's good to know. Norman Lampi colony, Australian desert gobies, African butterfly cichlids, and African butterfly fish. Hey, James, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate you sharing that experience. Thanks for letting us know that that worked for you. All right, Andersock77, hope that's helpful. Hope that other people uh, chimed in as well. Mitchell Brooms here. Hey, Mitchell, good to see you, my friend. I hope you're doing well. All right, I am scrolling. There we go. Orange cones. Sent my dentist your link. <laughs> they talked about patients with fish tanks. He uses tanks built into the walls to help reduce patient stress. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, so one reason I thought of this video is when I worked at Studio Animal Hospital, um, if you're in the Los Angeles area, excellent animal hospital. One of the last independent veterinary places in Southern California. Most of them have been bought up by a conglomerate, a big corporation that uh, buys up all the little mom and pop shops. But uh, Studio City Animal Hospital is, is like one of the last holdouts. I worked there for years. Not only was it a wonderful place to work, but what made it a wonderful place to work was the people there really cared about the animals. So plug for them. Love those guys. Haven't seen them in years, but they do a good job. They, they, I can't recommend them enough. Their priorities are in the right place. And uh, anyway, in the lobby there, there was a, I think it's a 500 gallon aquarium, massive aquarium. And I would just notice people would come in and often it's very stressful when you have to go to the vet. Maybe your, your dog or cat just got sick or um, maybe there are, there are all kinds of things can happen, right? So people would come in, they'd be pretty stressed out and we'd, if it was unscheduled, we'd take their dog back to the treatment area. We wouldn't have a treatment room available for them because those were all scheduled. And take it out, and they'd be sitting there, and they'd be real stressed. And then they'd start watching the aquarium. And after a little while, I would just see, like, the, the calm hit them. Now, still stressful, right? But better. <laughs> and that, just watching that happen over and over and over and over was part of what sparked this idea in my head um, of... What is at the bottom of this? So I know this happens, but but how can we prove that? Which is what made me want to do that video. So hopefully, lots of uh, dentists will start, uh, all you people, get your dentist to get a tank. But only they can take care of it. There are some pretty sorry-looking aquariums in medical care facilities, for sure. Nathan Hubby. Yeah, um, I'm figuring I'm over figuring out what to do with them the last time I moved just the parents and let the fry get picked off and they had yolk not even a week later oh you're talking about the convict cichlids I guess something else you could try if you have room is if you put a bunch of fast fish in there I'm thinking tiger barbs if the tank is big enough if you put a decent number of tiger barbs in there like a good school I'd be surprised if the, if the pair of convicts could successfully defend their spawn against a big group of tiger barbs. Number one, tiger barbs are assertive and they're quick. And if they're in a group, they, they're fearless. But number two, because of the little barbels, they can feed at night. They'll actually go around and, and feel food at night. So at night, when the convict cichlids are having, can't see as well and stuff, the, the, the tiger barbs will have the advantage. So maybe something like that 
uh, it doesn't have to be tiger barbs. There's lots of different species of fish that could do this. Anything that uh, has the pack mentality and is quick <laughs> might be worth a try. Clown barbs might be another one. They get a little bigger, so they might be better able to fend for themselves. Brian Lenowicz. Regarding feeding juvenile bushy nose, I got some small under one inch ones at a recent fish auction, but I've been having issues getting them to eat anything I put in. What would be the best when small? Huh. Well, when are you feeding them? Um, my advice would be feed them right before lights out so that they can feed at night at first when they're most comfortable. And one thing that I like to do with, with plecos when I'm first getting them to eat you know they take a while to settle in and stuff is I like using zucchini. I just take some zucchini, cut out a, a coin, stick it on a fork, that's why there's forks in all my aquariums, <laughs> drop it in the tank. If you do that at night the advantage of that is that the zucchini is not going to decompose and rot in there if they don't eat it, at least not quickly. So you could put the zucchini in there for 24 hours, and if they haven't eaten it, you can take it out, put on a fresh piece, and do it again. It's a way to keep food in front of the fish at all times without polluting your aquarium. So I would do that. I would definitely have zucchini in there all the time. And then you'll be able to see, are they eating at night when I'm not watching? Because, you know, they'll be scraping the, you'll see the zucchini kind of disappear. Um, anyway, that, that's one way we get plecos kind of, that are freshly imported to settle down, start eating, and uh, not pollute the tank. We do it with our hypencistrus and everything. Just because even for carnivores like hypencistrus, they'll still eat zucchini. And so it's a, we can keep that in front of them all the time, which helps. Now, while the zucchini's in there, you can try other things. You can put in algae wafers, uh, Hikari Massivore Delight pellets, our plecos love those. They like the extreme bottoms, uh, what, catfish bottoms? Anyway, the, the sinking kind of algae catfish one from extreme. Anything that holds its form for a long time and won't decompose quickly, uh, you could try. So if you drop those in, in the evening with the zucchini, uh, some of those bigger, more solid pellets, then in the morning, when you first wake up, if they haven't eaten them, you can usually scoop those out with a net before they've, you know, kind of turned to powder. So that's something else to do. So how do you keep food in front of them? long term and keep the water clean that's that's what I would try while you're trying to get them to eat and those are the foods we generally use to do that now for with hypens we also use frozen blood worms and things like that so you could maybe try some of that but definitely be able to take it out if they don't eat it so it doesn't rot and cause further issues hope that helps sorry my nose is running a little bit today Okay, I'm scrolling because chat jumped and I'm trying to get to, it jumped big time. Woo, okay. The next one I can see is, okay, got it. Gold Nugget Pleco, space Tetra. 
If I win, please give the fish to at Monster Fish Gal. At Monster Fish Gal, if you want them, we can make that happen. Carmo's Creations. Let's talk about how fast the trout goodie had sold out. I was emailed when they were listed back in stock. So stoked out the opportunity by eight of them. Cannot wait. Thank you. Yeah. Trout Gudeids are amazing. Let's show people this fish because they might not know it. Iliadon Fursidens is the name, the scientific name. Trout Gudeid. They're beautiful fish. They're hardy. They're an easy first Gudeid for people that want to try them. Let's look at this picture from Greg Sage. Just the beautiful black and yellow spots on the sides. Awesome fish. These things are great. All right. I've got a couple pictures of them, but these are small. They haven't developed all the color yet. This fish in the picture is probably about an inch, inch and a half, maybe. Big, real big would be an inch and a half. And this fish grows to about four inches or so. So it's, it's, it gets better with age. And uh, yeah, it's amazing. Now, one of the reasons that they're hard to get a hold of is Gudeids are not super prolific. They nourish their young really well in utero, if you will. And so the young come out really well developed and really big, but because they're so big, there's not a lot of room in, for, the fe uh, for them inside the female. So the clutch size is small. You might only get six, you might get 10. 20 would be a massive drop. Whereas guppies, a big female guppy, you could have you know lots of babies. So they're not all that prolific. Also, they're more seasonal. So they don't necessarily spawn year round, uh, depending on temperatures and, and cues and things like that. They, they don't spawn as often. You might get two, maybe three drops a year from these. So they're just not that prolific. Um, we have a wonderful breeder. Andrew, if you're watching, thanks for the awesome fish. Uh, they breed good ones and they sell them at a very reasonable price. So we're able to get them out and sell them at, at, at a very reasonable price. So that's awesome, I think. So yeah, the Trout Good Day is one to try. Hardy uh, can take more tolerant of warmer temperatures than a lot of Good Dayids. So if you don't have a specific cold Gudeid room, there's still a possibility. And they're stunning. They're not, they're not difficult at all. And yeah, they sold out real quick. Thanks to Steenfoud Aquatics, uh, Bob's like the best affiliate a guy could want, a guy could wish for. He's, he's been amazing to work with. So thanks, Bob, for making that happen. Blake Adams, I have my spotted pond... <laughs> Pongo cuffers. <laughs> Pongo cuffers. Sounds like a really bad video game. Okay, let's try this again. I have my spotted Congo puffers from you arriving tomorrow. Haven't had success with them in the past. Hoping third time is the charm. Yeah, Blake, I'm aware of your story. Johnny has shared with me that um, you've tried a few times in the past. Uh, so I know your confidence probably isn't high, but I'm here to tell you, I think we do puffers right. We literally sometimes take months getting them fat and sassy and healthy before we send them to our customers. So we didn't have to do that with these. These, these are in pretty good shape uh, from the beginning, which is nice. But I think you're going to be fine. If there's any problems, let us know. We'll take care of you. Uh, we'll, we'll figure out a way to make you successful with that species. But I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. 
Let's see here. Nathan, I don't know if I already thank you for joining the Fishmonger crew, but if I didn't, thank you. Welcome aboard. Matt M. Thanks for replying to my email about the Aplicylus block eye. Think you can get them or another Aplicylus? Good source, must be difficult, cool genus. So I do have a source where I can get them occasionally. They're uh, from Sri Lanka, where they're from. It's just hit or miss. And I don't know if you've been following the news, but Sri Lanka's had a lot of problems lately. Basically, uh, they stormed the castle and, and uh, kicked the president out of the country. A lot of chaos there over the last few months. So it might be a little hard to get fish from Sri Lanka for a while, but anytime I see Aplicylus blockii or Aplicylus kirschmeieri or um, I love Aplicylus dei, it's one of my absolute favorite fish. It's one I used to keep and breed as a kid, and occasionally I can bring in again. I even like panchaks. I think they're amazing. So anytime I can get those killifish of that genus, besides the golden wonder. <laughs> I mean, if I saw the natural form of Aplicylus lineatus, which is the golden wonder species, I would totally get it. But you can usually only find the gold ones. Yes, I would bring them in. I love that genus. Little pikes, fun little fish but not available very often, so hard to find in the supply chain. Let's see here. All right, yeah, so Matt M, I'll try. Spinster sister, will a UV light kill off bacteria, and is it true that it adds oxygen to the tank water? A UV light will kill, off, kill bacteria if it's free-floating in the water column. Bacteria that's uh, benthic, that's adhering to the surfaces in your aquarium, is not in the water itself, free-floating, so as that water is pumped to the UV filter, it's not going to get uh, caught up in the UV and sterilized. So stuff will get sterilized if it's small and in the water column. Depending on your UV filter, it can take different, it can sterilize different sizes of particles. Ours are rated for 30 microns. I don't know what yours is rated for, so you'd have to look at that on your own device. Um, and do they add oxygen to the water? Uh, maybe kind of. So they add a lot of energy to the water, so that might break apart the H and the O2 molecules a bit. So you might get some free O2 in there. Um, I don't know how long that free O2 is going to last before... Um, I'm sorry, it's H2O. So it might break off the two hydrogens from an oxygen, and that oxygen might find another free oxygen, and they might bind into O2. Uh, might bind, might bind temporarily, might bind for a long time, depending on what else is going on in there. So uh, I guess kind of, but I wouldn't rely on a UV sterilizer to oxygenate my aquarium by any means. That being said, I said that with authority. I don't know a ton about UV sterilizers and oxygenation. That's not something I've looked into. So, um, but, but personally, I wouldn't rely on it. Maybe just because I don't know enough to be comfortable with relying on it. Maybe it's great at that, and I just don't know. Xanadu, do Xanadu, thanks for being a member. Appreciate you. I'm so excited to have Pseudomugal signifers. Assume they're awesome. They are awesome. They are bred and raised by a hobbyist here in the United States. We were able to find them uh, from a fellow hobbyist, which is the best way to get fish. They don't have color yet. They aren't mature enough to have color yet, so they might not look stunning when you get them. They're probably going to look kind of brown, but they're super healthy, and they're from a great source. So on that front, they're good. Ethan Foster, any ideas of a good place I can get a wholesale size cost plant order? Hope everything is going well. 
Ethan, I sincerely wish I had an answer for you, but I don't really do anything with plants. I don't know. I don't know of a place that would sell in quantity. I'm sure they're out there, and I'm sure folks in this chat know about them. Folks in this chat, if you know a place where Ethan can order plants in quantity, would you uh, chime in and let him know? That'd be appreciated. Wish I could help you, but I'm pretty ignorant when, com when it comes to the plant hobby. Johnsworth, Nanochromus perellus. Would this get along with EBAs and a Hemochromus exul? Um, I think EBAs would be fine if there was a lot of shelter, especially while, while they were first getting settled. I've had full-grown EBAs in with Epistos, and everyone got along. Now, that being said, there were a lot of hides. There was a massive sword plant with lots of places for the Epistos to go hide. There were lots of other plants in that tank. Uh, the only planted tank I, I had in the last two decades, probably. And there were coconut huts around and, and pieces of wood and all that. So if there's enough hiding places, I think you'd be okay. Also, the Opistas were in that tank before the EBAs were put in it. EBAs, for those that don't know, are called are what we call electric blue acara. It's a beautiful cichlid that gets about four inches as an adult male, maybe with the tail five inches, somewhere around there. So the epistles were there, they were already established, they knew the tank, they had their hides, they had their territory, and then I put the EBAs in. And I put the EBAs in small, and then they grew up with the epistles. So in that scenario, that worked. I think that you'd be okay with those nanochromis, but they would have to somehow be able to settle in and, and find their hides and their places of refuge before the EBAs got big. Hemochromis exul, that's a wild card. They're a jewel cichlid. They're one of the more peaceful jewel cichlid cichlids out there, but but they're still a very assertive fish. That I don't know. So that's my thoughts. It's kind of like a, yeah, I think it could work, but maybe not with the exul. Jerry Serple Morris, I've kept a group of RCSs. Is that red crystal shrimp? With six CPDs. Uh, <laughs> Anyone here that doesn't know the alphabet soup, you're having a hard time tonight. Celestial Pearl Danios in a 15-gallon loaded with moss, driftwood, and other plants, but never get buried shrimp. Fairly certain I have a few males, so I don't think it's a ratio. How long have they been, been in there? So it can take shrimp a couple months to settle into a new uh, home for sure. I don't know. I wouldn't call myself a shrimp expert, but I've kept and bred colonies of CPDs long-term. Uh, and I didn't have any problems. The way I did it is I kept them in a five and a half gallon aquarium, half choked with Java moss, oversized sponge filter, really well-established tank. And it was hard Santa Barbara, California water. It was super hard. I didn't give them the soft acidic water they're supposed to need. And they loved it. They bred like crazy. Real stable tank, lots of surface area, lots of plants. I've never had an experience where I've had CPDs, I'm sorry, RCSs, red crystal shrimp, in both sexes that were healthy and didn't have spawning success after, after a few months. Sometimes it takes a, a couple months, maybe even a little longer for them to settle in though. So I think it's probably a patience game. I'm going with patience. That's my thought. 
Danny C. I've fallen in love. Congratulations. Just, that's the best. With gobies. Oh. Uh, we need to talk. <laughs> and your video tour of gobies. I've got two neon blue stiffodons in quarantine. Would some NEA be good neighbors in a 20-gallon? Want them to all be happy. So... I've kept neon blue stiffodons with Annie's in the past, but I don't think it's, there's a small risk there because the blue neons are so much bigger than the Annie's. If you had the Annie's first and they were well established and totally fat and sassy and full grown, and then you put a couple small or a few smaller blue neons in there and they kind of grew up together, you'd probably be okay. But I'm a little leery of getting a tank that has well-established blue neons and then adding small, delicate annies to that tank. It'd probably be okay, but that gives me a little pause. Johnsworth, with these uh, Norohamphorus be all right as top dwellers in a tank with some electric blue cars? No. The electric blue cars would get big enough to eat them, I think. The Norhamphorus, that's, that's a half beak for those that don't know. Um, right now, uh, a large electric blue car could definitely eat one without too much problem. They're just so, they're a long, skinny fish, so they slurp it up like a noodle. Bow wow. Well, meow right back. Can you get or do you ever see Dario Kajal for sale? Hmm, let's see. What is this Dario of which you speak? Is this the one with a little bit of red up on the back? Let me look. Yeah, um, I've had this in as a contaminant every now and then. So I know the fish you're talking about. I don't see it listed, though. The only way I get it is when it kind of shows up accidentally. Pretty little fish, though. Kind of like a different flavor of a, a Scarlet Battis or Black Tiger Dario. Yeah. But no, I don't have a supplier that actually lists them. Now, hopefully that'll happen. My suppliers get new fish all the time as, as things change in the industry. But I don't have any at the moment. Not uh, any steady supply at the moment. Orange cones, like a fishy visual virtual family reunion. I like it. Shelters do that with puppies and kittens. Oh, you're talking about the pictures? Yeah. I also think it'd just be cool for people to see pictures from customers instead of us. At some point, and I haven't talked to random arms about this, but at some point, I think it'd be cool to have like a part on the website where it's just a gallery of customer pictures, but that's not going to happen soon. <laughs> There's a lot of projects uh, in the pipeline. Leo 209 Aquatics. When you add more Amazon puffers, I slipped up and didn't order when you guys had them up. Oh, when are you adding more Amazon puffers? I didn't get them. Oh, okay. Um, I see what you're saying. I don't know. Amazon puffers are hit and miss. When I see them available from a decent supplier, I have a supplier that does a pretty good job with them. Next time they list them, I'll definitely buy them, but I don't control when they list them. 
and they're somewhat seasonal. So I think we're still okay. I think we can they can still be collected right now, but uh, I don't know the exact season for them. Johnsworth, my South American puffers, Amazon puffers, from Dan have been pretty good about eating all kinds of stuff. Extreme, nice, Rapashi Super Green, Frozen Bloodworms, and Viber Bites. I do have a few that don't care much for non-high-protein food, though. Oh, yeah, puffers definitely like high-protein food the best. I'm thinking about it. In the wild, they're eating, uh, that, that fish in particular is eating a lot of uh, mayfly larvae, a lot of basically worms with legs <laughs> those larvae are full of fat because they need the energy to metamorphose into the mayfly so yeah they, they eat a lot of protein and fat in the wild mexicali fish keeper in your experience what's the coldest you've been able to keep a phaneus mento i've never like tried to hit their bottom limit but i'm sh i'm pretty sure that they've got down to 60 degrees maybe mid-50s uh, in my care. I mean, I can go 60 degrees because I'm positive I've got them that low. But I've never been like, how low can they go? I just have kept them in a room that wasn't really well heated and it got as cold as it got. Amber Hart. I live in South Florida and have a pH of 8 with Epistopanduros and want to breed them. Would I be able to put them outside and let the rainwater bring down pH? Yeah, so... Um, the issue is the hardness, not so much the pH. Now, pH and hardness are kind of tied together in this relationship. So I, I get that if you have 8.0 water, you're going to have um, harder water. Rainwater is very soft. It's devoid of minerals pretty much, right? Because it hasn't reached the ground where it can absorb them. And so, yeah, definitely I think that could help. If you, if you can get rainwater in with them, to help cut the hardness, it'll probably also lower the pH, then uh, I think that would be very helpful to help them breed. Now, as far as putting them outside, I don't know. I, I'm In Florida, maybe you're okay year-round. But rainwater, for sure, can be helpful. I haven't used a lot of rainwater myself. I, I, I've heard that there's some areas where, you know, acid rain or, you know, there's pollutants in the rain. So, you might want to run it through some carbon or something just in case first. I, I, I don't know. Do some research because I, I don't know how to handle rainwater so it's safe uh, in your area. But yes, lowering the hardness by adding rainwater would definitely help just in the same way that putting in RODI water would. Reverse osmosis, deionized water. Andrew Miller, besides methylene blue, is there any other good ways to avoid fungus while hatching angelfish eggs? Yes, peroxide. Hydrogen peroxide. Um, I'm assuming the eggs have been removed, though. You don't want to use hydrogen peroxide with fish. So if the breeders are still caring for the eggs, you know, <laughs> no hydrogen peroxide. But absolutely. I've got a video somewhere about breeding and hatching fish uh, where I show how I use hydrogen peroxide. But it's been uh, quite useful for me. I like methylene blue as well, though. Medina Aquatics... Would these silver tip tetras work as dither fish for a pair of black or electric blue rams? Can they handle temperatures in the lower 80s? Sure. They can handle the temperatures. Absolutely. Lower 80s, are you talking about like 82 degrees? Absolutely. 
I don't think I've ever kept silver tips long term at over 82 degrees, so I don't know anything beyond that. But at 82 degrees, well oxygenated, clean water, yeah, I think you're going to be fine. Wendy, how cold will platinum and docker rice fish go? Under ice. I have a 100-gallon stock tank full of them. It hasn't frozen on top yet, but I'm getting worried. It is freezing at night. No space for them. Yeah, they can live under ice. Now, you might want a little air stone in there just so that... Because I'm picturing ice capping it and making it difficult for water to exchange, for gas to exchange, or I mean, sorry, oxygen and other gases to exchange at the surface. So putting an air stone in and uh, maybe popping... Oh, well, if you pop a hole in the ice, it's just going to refreeze. <laughs> yeah, and maybe put an air stone in to kind of help add uh, atmosphere into the water could be helpful. I don't have a lot of experience keeping fish out during the winter, so all I know is that Madaka can, uh, can live in water that's iced over. Fishy fellow, I just wanted to say thank you and Greg for last week's giveaway. The Gadeids arrived in great shape. They're so stinking cute. Can't wait to raise him up and breed them. <coughs> Fishy fellow, you're very welcome. I mean, yeah, on behalf of Greg and myself, you're very welcome. I know Greg would say the same thing. And what a giveaway. Massive group of Chapalichthys pardalis, a, a highly endangered Gadeid, neat live bearer. And what, did you get 15 of them? Something like that? Good, good group. Like, that's awesome. That's the way to start off with a live bearer colony is start with a colony. So hope you do well with them, fishy fellow. And if you breed them, um, I'm in the market. I'm always happy to take uh, excess gudeids off your hands. Nathan, I have them in a 20 long at the moment. I can add more filtration. I have a hang on back for a 30 gallon now. Um, uh, Nathan, my brain can't remember what this is in response to. If it's the convict cichlids, I don't know if a 20 long is going to be big enough for a full-grown pair of convict cichlids and a group of barbs, if that's what that's talking about. My brain can't hold on to every cover, <laughs> all the details, sorry. Okay, I'm scrolling up. It's 8.18 already? Holy cow, time flies when you're having fun. We're going to try to get to a few more. And then we're going to do the giveaway in a little bit. And then I'll, I'll post the link now for, uh, for those that want to watch my wife sing. She's doing another song tonight. I'll post it now at 8.30, right after my stream will go over. And I think that uh, here's the link to it. I'll post it again later. I think this song's like a couple minutes. So it, it, it's just a quick hang. Ginger Graves throwing down a $10 super chat. Thank you so much, Ginger. Highly appreciated. Just, I appreciate you, lady. I think you know that. Uh, I hope one day our, our paths cross again at IRL, because I'd love to see you again in person. Hope you're doing fantastic. Just thanks for being you, Ginger. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the Ginger. Uh, for those that don't know, my, my wife's a professional singer, and uh, she's finally acquiesced to doing a YouTube channel of her singing. So for those that know Brenda, my wife, or, you know, 
been asking about her and her songs and stuff. That's that's where we can listen to them, see her perform. Orange Coast dental fish tanks are maintained by a patient that used to work at a saltwater fish wholesaler, saltwater reef tanks. Cool. They probably know a whole lot more about water chemistry than I do then. <laughs> Haven't got into the whole coral thing. Nope. <laughs> Alter Ego Aquatics. Forgot. Bought a 7-inch ornate biker, Bashir, Polypterus. Now on a 55 with another 6-inch Bashir. Um, 8-inch knife, 8-inch dojo. As far as I can see, my ornate never moves from his spot. Can't get him interested in frozen or live. Um, could be they need more time. I don't know when you bought this fish, but it can take bikers, bashirs, polypterists, however you say it, uh, a while before they settle in. Another thing, though, is are there a lot of hiding spots? In nature, this is a fish that lives in swamps. Like, picture a swamp full of reeds, like just dense reeds, lots of plants everywhere. Uh, this fish is going to live in there. It's going to live in the mud. It's going to constantly have stuff around it. Open space is a little scary for them. So what I would do is I would choke half of the tank with like java moss or something that can kind of burrow into. I'd have a lot of, I don't know, caves of some kind. They could be PVC pipes. They could be whatever, but a lot of places of refuge around. Because if you, if you have bikers and they're just in a plain tank, you can see them. But especially while they're first settling in, they might be very uncomfortable. So that's something to keep in mind. I don't know how the tank's set up. And I don't know how healthy it is. You know, I, I, I didn't, I don't know what the fish has been through before it got to you. Hopefully it's healthy and just needs to settle in. I, I don't think that's uncommon though, if you just got him for him to need to settle in for a bit before he eats. Random Arms, good to see you, brother. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for being here. Okay. Shelby, 10-gallon tank with five pygmy quarries. Oh, that tank is overstocked. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You have tons of room. <laughs> you can get more stuff in there. Would some white clouds be okay with them? How many for the size tank? Yeah, I think white clouds would be great. 10-gallon tank. This is a question that has a lot of nuance, so it depends on how you maintain your tanks, how much maintenance you want to do, what the filter's like, do you have live plants? Uh, there's all kinds of questions about that. But in just a standard tank that I'm assuming is maintained well, um, five pygmy quarries, I would probably get 15 more pygmy quarries and um, eight or so white clouds. That's that's what I would do. Um, that means you're going to have to do you know, a decent water change at least once a week probably. Have decent filtration and all that, but once that tank is all stocked out, that's probably what I would put in it if I was doing both those species. I, I like a big school of pygmy quarries. They just, they're so neat when there's a lot of them. Leo 209 Aquatics. When you get more Amazon puffers, um, when are you getting more? As soon as I can get them from the supplier that does a good job. There's there's a few different suppliers that have them. Uh, there's only one I, I want to get them from. They do the best job. 823. 
let's do the giveaway now. Yeah, let's do it now. So the giveaway is for a group of Silver Tip Tetras. There are 215 folks who have entered to win that. And the winner is... Ray's Fish Room. Ray's Fish Room. Congratulations. You have won. You have two minutes to claim your winnings. You do that just by entering something in chat. Just whatever you want to do. But you have to enter something in chat so we know you're here because you have to be present to win. If you haven't done that within two minutes from the time the drawing was done, then you forfeit your winnings and we'll draw somebody else. That's how we do it here. All right, scrolling up because, okay, here we go. Medina Aquatics, <laughs> let me do that again. I was rushing. Medina Aquatics, which quarry do you regularly keep is the easiest to start to learn and breed and keep quarries? Been interested in trying some of these amazing fish. Aeneas. Corridors Aeneas. Super easy. That's the one I start with. It's inexpensive. Super easy to breed and raise. Paleotis. Also super easy to breed and raise. Orange Venezuelanus. Not a difficult fish to breed and raise. But I would go with Aeneas. I just think they're hard to mess up. Paleotis. Pretty much as easy as Aeneas. Nathan Hovey. Any tips for introducing keeping rubber lip plecos? Tried adding one, but it didn't make it past one hour. Ooh. <coughs> well, if you got that from us, I'm super sorry. I, I don't think you did, but if you did, please reach out because we need to take care of you. Um, hoping you didn't. <laughs> I, I don't think rubber lip plecos are any more difficult to introduce to a tank than any other fish species. I think you probably got a rubber lip pleco that was in bad shape. And so it passed away shortly after being introduced to the tank. So honestly, they're, they're pretty hardy fish when they're healthy. The rubber lips are not a delicate fish. Let's see here. Do we have our winner yet? Nope. Oh, and it's been over two minutes. All right, Rays. I'm going to wait a little bit because I know there's a delay. So maybe Rays uh, responded and I just don't see it yet. I think we're on a 30-second delay. So I'll answer one more and then I'll come back. Orange cones, cats and kittens love to hang out in the fish room. I bet they did. That's like a that's like pizza television. <laughs> artist Lisa Matthews. I like that strong identity. I'm an artist. My name's Lisa Matthew. Lisa Matthews. I have six black emperor tetras and five aspidorus in a ten gallon tank. A male tetra is chasing all the other tetras into hiding. Do I need to put them in a larger tank? Maybe, or maybe you need to get more tetras. Uh, I mean, both would be great, but I think even if you take six Emperor Tetras and put them in a larger tank, let's say you move them into a 20-gallon, you might still have the issue. I think more Tetras is the answer. It just spreads aggression. That way you'll get multiple males that can compete against each other. They'll keep each other busy, uh, and you'll have enough that you don't get in the situation where one dominates so severely. That's my take on it. Okay. All right. Ray's Fish Room did respond. I figured there is that strange delay. Congratulations, Ray's Fish Room. Now, to claim your winnings, all you have to do is send an email to hello at dancefish.com. That's H-E-L-L-O at dancefish.com. Hello at dancefish.com. 
Give us your first name, your last name, and your mailing address, and Johnny will work with you to set up the shipping date, and we'll get you taken care of. Thank you so much for participating. Thanks for playing. I want to thank my moderators for being here, for doing what they do. As soon as this stream is done, I'm going to head over and watch my wife sing a song. If you would like to listen to Brenda sing, here is a link to her YouTube channel where that's happening at 8.30. Thanks to my moderators. Thanks to all the members. I appreciate you being part of the, the Fishmonger crew. It just helps us. Uh, it keeps the lights on. We're a scrappy startup company still. We will be for a while. Every little bit of support helps. So thank you so much. Everyone that threw money at us, thanks for the super chats. Always appreciate it, never required, but it totally helps. Everyone that was active in the chat with a question or comment, thank you for participating. Makes this uh, much more interesting when the whole community gets involved. Everyone that's watching the replay, hello from the past. Everyone that's a lurker, I forgot the lurkers. If you're lurking, hail the Lurker Nation. And if you're listening on the podcast, thanks for listening. We'll be back next Wednesday, same bat time, same bat channel. I'm going to go listen to Brenda sing. Until next time, have a good one. Bye-bye. I'm just going to sit here awkwardly for a bit and make sure that I don't cut off the end of the video because I've done that before.